Welcome to the Desert Street Podcast, the podcast helping you develop forex trading skills for more freedom. I'm your host, Etienne Kret. Let's get started right away. Good morning, everyone. We are live. I'm sitting here today in uh, Playa del Carmen, Mexico, with Alejandro, a student who's now part of the team at Desert Trade in Mexico City. What's up, Alejandro? Hi. Hi, Etienne. How are you going? Very good, very good. So welcome, guys. And we have Stefan. We have Square Imagination watching. Sambat. Perfect. Awesome, guys. So I want to talk about... So today we'll do kind of two parts. First of all, confidence. I want to talk about that because I got a lot of email on that topic this week and I kind of want to address the topic really important. And then we'll talk about... Well, your questions. So whatever question you have, comment below in the chat now so we can get to those later. And throughout the event, if you have any questions, also comment below in the chat and we'll answer those later on. So we are a good both good at answering questions and getting to whatever topic you want to ask and go through. So we'll do that. We can even maybe show an example. We'll see. But whatever you guys have, we'll do that today. So I kind of want to start in confidence first. So I got like five emails on that topic this past week. And I don't want to get like five emails on the same thing every week. It's an issue for people. And here's the issue. Like people come to me and they ask for confidence. How can I be more confident when I trade? And like this is really tricky. Like, how do you want to feel confident? And we could give you like a thousand tricks and tips on how to do this, but I feel like you cannot really do it. Like, tell someone that's losing money in the market, or just be confident, or oh, do this and you'll be confident. They either won't do it or they won't feel confident. So, for me, when I look back at like the past years of my trading, there's been a time where I wasn't confident at all in trading, but I still succeeded because I kind of turned and kind of flipped this around to it's not about being confident, but it's about being curious, like you change confident, curious. So I want to see the result of my strategy when I trade. I don't have to, f- to feel confident first. I don't have to feel like I'm going to make a living from it. I just have to feel like I'm curious about the result and then I do it. And I tell myself, no matter what the results are, I'm just curious to see what they are going to be, what the result will be. And then after that, I see the result and they could be bad, they could be good, but I detach myself from the result. I just say, whatever happens, happens. I'll just see the result after. And I'll adapt and change based on that. And I'm confident in my ability to change and to adapt based on the result. So here's kind of the twist. And people think that they have to be confident and like know exactly before they start that they're going to make a living from it. You don't have to do that. And that will be even really difficult because you don't know at all what to expect. Like you've never done that before. And it's really hard to be confident when you don't know what to expect. So hope that makes sense. And I don't know if you can tell me if that makes sense for you. But that's kind of the twist you have to make. And we can talk more about confidence if you guys want. And I'm curious to hear you take also on confidence, Alejandro, because you've been through that more recently than I've been. So maybe, did you have a lot of confidence when you were you traded? Yeah, it's actually, the way you, you frame it, it's really interesting because it's something that I didn't think of until a few months ago in one of our mastermind calls. And it's really interesting because one starts, well, at least I started thinking that I need the results in order to get confidence but then you're not confident enough to actually get the results you need. That's it. Because so it's kind of a circle you are, for a long time. Exactly. You, 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 get stuck in a, yeah, you get stuck in a vicious circle in which you are not confident enough to take the traits that need to be taken in order to get the results, to get confidence from those results or from those statistics in my case, in order to continue trading. And... In my case, what helped me a lot was the, what you said exactly, to be curious and just like, okay, just... Uh, since I was in demo in, th- in that time, uh, in that phase, you were like, okay, just take every single one and treat them as gathering information. 
but just be curious of what is going to happen and don't think of if you're confident or not. Maybe if you think of that, just write it in your journal when you are taking a trade, but still take everything. And then you can decide what happens afterwards. And that helped me a lot. And then I found out that for me, the best way to gain confidence is by having my statistics by my side. That's why I then, after that, I was playing with building robots and then I started building more robots. And then after having the robots built with the statistics and I knowing that I made the statistics, the process was correctly done. I say the robot because it's usually faster to get statistics for robots than for real trading because with the robots, you go back testing and for real trading, you have to wait for the market. You cannot move time in that one. Sometimes it's slower. And that helped me a lot in the part that, okay, maybe I can apply the same thing to my real-time trading in order to refocus what am I doing and taking the trades with a curious mind instead of with a, I need to do this or maybe I'm not good enough for this mindset that usually crawls when you are not yet in that point of being confident. Because I think it's something that you obtain with time, but you have to do something before in order to be able to get that. So it's part of the process and it can be pretty complicated for people without guidance or if you don't have someone like a mentor or a coach to guide you to your process, it can be really, really complicated for someone to grasp that because you don't get it until after you pass by it and then you see the value afterwards, but you don't see it when you are in that point. You are just lost. Yeah. And even if you have like the stats and your strategy and everything, you wouldn't feel like it kind of only gets you so far to a certain level. But then when you read that, like, it's different when you get to, you know, you have the stats and you know the stats, you know, you're confident about them, but then you have to trade live and it's kind of a different game. You're not sure whether the stats will replicate in the market. So even then you don't feel like super confident. So you kind of have to be curious, try it out, see how it goes, and then adapt based on that. And if you're confident in your ability to adapt and to change things and to evaluate, then you feel confident, kind of, right? But it's more curiosity than a confidence thing. And I kind of want to go through the email. Go ahead. The adaptation part is really useful because, as you said, you may have the stats, but the problem may be that you may not be sure that you can replicate those stats going forward. So you may see, okay, in backtest, I did this and I did everything correctly, but I'm not sure if I can execute as I should going into the future. And that part of adapting and taking it, okay, this is what happened. Now let's see what will happen forward. and Having that adaptive mindset when you are in the markets will help you spot more things, like more opportunities that could be good, but also will help you execute the opportunities that you already have in your toolkit with a better mindset because you will stop losing some trades just because you are not sure or you don't have confidence in yourself. And then with time, you may get better confidence in yourself as you see the results, but it will all take time. And that adaptive part I think it's essential for any trader because if we do not adapt, we get stagnated and the market keeps moving without us and it kicks us out of the game. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of want to read an email or a message I received to a student from the academy and you'll see why it's wanting to not have confidence but more curiosity. So that person says, I've been having such a hard time between sick parents, helping my son with grade six homework, day job and some battery last week. Morale is definitely down. And I have this mindset right now of if I open a trade, I'll lose money, <laughs> which of course, you no know, guys, not the mindset to be in. 
So the question is like, how you flip this? Well, you don't look at, well, will I make money not, or, or not placing trades? That's not the question. The question is, can I see the result first? Because you might have a series of, of bad trades, but you cannot, and this is like a mistake. You cannot only look at this and say, oh, I had bad trades last week or those trades last week. Therefore, the result will be losing. You cannot just say that mindset. You have to switch it up to, well, I've been losing money the past week. I had a series of losing trades. I'm not sure what will happen this week, but let's find out what happened if I do things properly this week. And that's how you flip this around to doing it right. A curiosity mindset, of course. Which, uh, yeah, that's, that's actually, that? yeah, well, that's actually the same process that I had with one of my coaching clients. He was having issues with his strategy. He's a day trader in futures. And he was probably has having problem with his strategy, but he didn't know if it was the problem of his strategy not working anymore or he was applying it wrong or something in between. And then we ran some stats, we worked with him in his mindset, and then he was, oh yeah, I have been having two weeks in a row of losing trades. Well, not all losing trades, but losing streak. And then as you told me, I kept doing the process and I kept them up in mind with that. And then I had one week that was a good week that wiped out all the previous losses and gave me enough profits to give me my average return that I had for my back test in the, for that week. So he was telling me that before he did that mindset change of being curious and staying open to what will happen in the future, plus having a bit of backup from his stats, knowing that long-term everything should be fine, let's say like that. After one week of having losing trade, he will just stop trading and think that there is something really wrong with him or with system and he will not continue executing. But after that mindset shift, he kept executing for the next week and then he still had that. Of course, he was a little down because it was two losing weeks in a row for a day trader, which is around uh, 20 trades more or less. It's not really everyone losing, but net losing. And then the next week he was like, okay, this mindset shift works because if I had stuck with my old mindset, I would have stopped trading maybe after the first week or after the two weeks of losses. And I would not have continued to get that third week, which made that month profitable. So I think it's pretty important. And the way you just said it is exactly how that happened with one of my coaching clients as an example. It's pretty, it's something that it's pretty useful for people. Yeah. And like Adam said in the chat, so here's the thing. We don't say like just all oh, trade, whatever you think you could trade and then you'll see the result. That, that's not the point. The point is that you should know, first of all, if you have an edge, that's for sure that's given. You should have done your back test. But then don't wait till you are 100% confident you'll succeed to start. That won't happen. Yeah. It's a quote. I think I'm not sure who said that. But you have to start to be great, but you don't have to be great to start. That's exactly it. And I kind of like to have an example of, uh, do you think, let's say, for example, like we started started to see that we tried to get attached to the result, like whether we make money or not that week or that month. But do you think that people like uh, Steve Jobs when they run a company like Apple, do you think that they care about the bottom line of like every store? Oh, the store didn't make sale. Oh, let's get frustrated. Let's get angry at that store. They don't care. They just look at the overall. And they're more like process focused and execution focused than result focused in the end. Although they understand the result, they like result. But in the short term, they don't look at the result that much. They think more about ideas. And if you want to be creative and find other ways to trade, other strategies, other ways you could do things, you cannot just be in a negative state of like, oh, things aren't working well now. 
you have to think about the opportunities you have and take time to be more creative. And that's only done when you don't care about the result too much. You just think about the overall picture around the result. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. That's I reframe that as focus on the process. Yeah. And I also make my goals and I change my results into process. So for example, in my day trading, I change my result. Uh, instead of, let's say, many traders have their result of making 1% per day, I change it to executing all my trades to 90% of the process correctly done or more. That's my goal for that day. So it is a process-oriented goal, but I try to change the way I say it so that it sounds like a result, but it is part of the process. And then if you have that mindset, you will understand that in the long term, your results, let's say your monetary or percentage profit terms results, will come with time. And of course, in everything in finance, everything is average. You may have a day in which you lose money. You may have a day in which you win a lot of money. But overall, overall you will have, like, let's say, a, a number that it will be your stable. And that should be your long-term aim, let's say, in terms of performance results. But everything else, you, I try to frame my process goals into a result for that day. And usually using numbers helps a lot. And I use my trading journal for that. I have a percentage of execution adequacy or how perfect I executed my trade. And then at the end of the day, I can average all that and say, okay, today my day was an 80% day or today was a 90% day in execution, like quality of execution of my trading plan. And that helps also our brain to think like that of our results because it's a number and we are trained since school to think of our results in number terms. So we are always given grades. Well, for, I know, uh, not in all school systems, but for example, in most school systems around the world, you have numbers, <laughs> number grades. So usually the closer you get to 10 or to 100, the best is your grade. Right. And we are trained like that in school. So you can transfer that pre-programming that you have been done by the standard indoctrinating system of schools that we have into your trading life to help you be better motivated to execute your process by doing something like giving you a, yourself a score based on that. Exactly. So here's the thing, and I really like the fact that you mentioned goals, which are, I think, really important. It comes down to kind of what you focus on. You focus on the profit, like making money every day, or do you focus on like having a, a goal, like that's something you want to achieve different than money. And if that's your goal, the thing you want to achieve, then money won't matter in the end. And you will just be more happy to reach your goal as opposed to making money because your goal and the thing you focus on was that goal that that's the process goal or just that thing you want to add in the market that thing you want to implement it could be like as simple as like as i said something like it compliance several that's like a bit complicated for someone new but if it's brand new it could be just like respecting you take profit that's your goal this week if you do it every trade or like 95 percent of the time then you do it like a bigger job and that's awesome so you have to kind of flip this to what you focus on and you pick one thing you want to apply and if you do this for like five, six weeks, even like three months, whatever, the result will be crazy at the end. Because if you have like all these new things you've implemented in your trading every week, for example, that make a big difference. And your profit will change also at the same time. Without yeah, exactly. And 
Yeah, and for starters, I mean, in my case, since I am in that that level, I already have on my checklist. I know each part of my process. Yeah. So for me, it's relatively easy to grade. Okay, I violated a minor part of my trading plan, or I ignored this little thing, so I will take up a few points of my process score, right? But for someone that is starting, you can just start seeing and which parts does your trading strategy has, or if you have a trading plan, which parts you should be doing, and then start thinking and talking to you honestly about which is the part that I have the most problems following or which is the part that I had the most problems understanding. And then you make that part your goal for that week. So you make, let's say that you have troubles taking profits. You let them run, but then you're afraid of taking them because you think you will go, it will go further and you don't want to miss that potential of more profits. But then you let them run until it goes down again, then if your problem is taking profits, then your process goal could be for that week to place a take profit on every single trade that you place that you have. And in case that it gets near to that point or to that point, take profit every single time and in the place that you defined. Or if you're having problems uh, taking losses and you are people from those that do not put stop losses because you may think that your stop loss may be wrong and maybe it will be passed by a peep and then go in your favor. Then use that curious mindset that we talked about before and put that goal of, okay, I'm going to place my stop losses and respect my stop losses in every single trade I take for the next week. And that will be your goal for that week. And then you can use a journal to see, okay, these ones, my stop losses are too tight. Okay, then widen them. With that process goal, you will have more tools to then get other goals and to advance in your process, in your trading development process, which you may not have otherwise because you may be ignoring or avoiding some parts of your faults. And having goals, I think it's pretty important because it keeps us honest with ourselves and it keeps us humble. There is always something we can improve. Yeah, exactly. And only yet you got a question, so come to Jesse, you any question. I've seen something that I kind of like, and I want to talk about that for sure. Let me see. So uh, I want to get to that. And sometimes, like, the thing we think is a problem is not a problem. And we kind of have to f- focus on different things to become better. So somebody's asking about, it's saying he has a problem to identify the support and resistance areas of the market, and that because it's basically take profit and stop loss, perhaps based on those, that he's not making good money with that. Okay, when day trades. Now, that could be the problem very well. That could be the issue. But sometimes I feel like this is just a game of number. And I've been there like a couple of times in business and trading where I think something is the issue, but it's not really. I'm doing things right on that aspect. And it comes down to kind of the numbers, right? So you have to know the numbers and you have to know how often the support resistance areas you identify work. Is it like 20% of the time that price respect them or 50% of the time or... 80% of the time, perhaps, but you have to know the numbers. And if you don't, then you just rely yourself on, oh, I feel like the, the levels aren't respected well. And I feel like I'm, I'm stopped out too often. But if you look at the big sample side of the trade, like on the trade, for example, you might realize that you only get stopped out like 20 times based on that. That's not an issue anymore. That's pretty good. So you have to think about whether you've looked at the numbers enough and then get to fix things if you need to. Does that make sense? Yeah, also one thing that I see many beginner traders do is that, uh, well, also when I was a beginner, I saw that problem myself, 
we tend to put our take profits too high and our stop losses too low, too tight. Yeah. And we shouldn't be doing that because, I mean, most of these things, for example, support and resistance areas and placing take profits and stop loss, unless you have a strategy like, for example, your volume or band reversal, which is already like, you already have everything you need in the strategy itself, they become more subjective. And those will advance with your pattern recognition skills and how you learn to read the market. And when you're a beginner and when you are developing, you don't really know how to recognize many things in the market yet. You are still developing that part. And many times we place our stop losses really tight because we don't want to lose money, but that shouldn't be the reason why we are placing a stop loss. The reason why we're placing a stop loss, for example, should be that my trade idea is no longer valid and it shouldn't work if it gets to this place. And my take profit should be a reasonable amount. So one of the exercises I did in the type of the terms of take profit and stop losses when I was starting was whenever I saw a place, I put my trade example, I have my entry. And whenever I determined my stop loss, I would take my stop loss and then, okay, this is my stop loss. I will widen it by 20% or something like that more. So I will put my stop losses always wider than what I thought I needed. And then if I had my take profit, I would put it, my take my take profit at 80% of what I thought could be achieved by the market. Because we tend to overshoot the profits and we tend to underestimate the, the stop losses. And that helped me a lot because after some time, and if you have your stats, you're recording your, your trades with a trading journal, you can start seeing that, oh, okay, most of my trades with the widened stop loss got only to 60% of my stop loss. Okay, then that means that you can tighten your stop loss. But if all of them are going to stop loss and then reverting, that means that you are having them too tight. So I would say that this is a mix of you are still developing and then you also need your trading journal in order to be able to, to get more insights into what's really happening there into a more detailed level. So I think that Mixing like both processes could help a lot. I love that. And you mentioned something so good, which is, and you guys should take note of that. Take a journal paper, take note of this. So Alejandro said, we tend to overestimate or take profit and underestimate or stop loss. That's, that's big. That's major. And this has been the case for me also. So take note of that. Think about it for sure. So people get affected by feelings sometimes. So like they look at trades, they say, oh, so I lost the past 10 trades. Therefore, my resistance are not properly placed. And they forget that they don't look at the data enough. They just go with the feeling. And this is a business where you cannot go on feelings. If you go on like how you feel that you should change something, you better go back and reevaluate because you might be changing the wrong thing all the time. And you might be wasting a lot of time on that. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I lost many lots of times. I lost around one year while I was doing in uni <laughs> by changing things without like mindlessly changing things. And yeah, it is... It's very important to keep a journal. I didn't keep a journal before. I had my FX book linked to my account, but I never, it was just there. It was just like, yeah. okay, I just linked it and I never used it uh, while I was in my, in my uni when I was learning to trade. And I, I can say that I basically lost one year trying different things and trying to modify different things, but I didn't know what I was doing in the sense of, yes, I knew what I was doing theoretically, but I never tracked anything. So I thought that I knew something, but all the things that I knew were wrong because they were based on biases and my poor memory, which if you are in uni, you have all other things that you have to do, plus your trading. So you may forget many, many things of what you, 
were thinking or what you were doing when you were trading at the time. So like one month ago, you may forget even why you enter a trade or what happened in a trade. So all those things that I thought I knew made me lose a lot of time in, in my development process. So it, it's vital to have a journal and to record things because I can say honestly that we cannot trust our own memory unless you have photographic memory, but you cannot really trust our memories. I can tell you honestly, I remember why I, I took a trade uh, two weeks ago and I was reviewing my journal. And for some reason, I didn't journal all the things that I had to. And I was thinking to try to put them and I was like, I, I have no idea what happened that time. So I cannot finish my journal writing that part because I don't remember at all what happened. I remember something vaguely, but if I tried to write it now, it would be kind of writing it with the hindsight bias instead of writing it with what really happened that time. Exactly. And Adam says, I don't know about the refrigerators, but when I take a loss, I have to think about the money. He says, my feeling of confidence gets slammed even when I come of a 10 like, series of winning trades. The loss is always kind of, is a bruise. So that gets better over time. I think you feel it less. Yeah. And you have to think about like, what the CEO of Apple would, would be like, pissed off by a refund that they get or by the safe shipment that, that's failed or a product that, that doesn't work well. They won't even think about it twice. They might like notice it, but then they won't think about it at all after. So same thing goes with, you, with your trading. Yeah, I also say that it can be part of your ego. So your personality could be, yeah. you could have more like a bigger or more fragile ego. And then you could be also looking at the things with a different mindset, meaning that you could be looking at a losing trade as you being wrong, which I think it's a terrible thing to do because in the markets, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. It just matters that you execute your strategy and that you have a strategy that has a long-term positive expectancy. So it is perfectly normal to have losses. But if we are making each loss personal in the sense that you are making this loss about myself, about what, what it means about me or my ego or me as a person, then they're going to get a pretty big hit emotionally every time you take a loss. And that will happen thousands, if not millions of times over a long-term trading career. So I would try to find a way to reframe. You can try methods of cognitive reframing in which you can try to reframe that loss. I don't know if Tim wants me to go into more or less how that process works so that people can yeah, reframe it. For, yeah, can you help people? So go ahead, sure. Yeah, uh, basically, I will do a paraphrase. There was an article by Dr. Brett Steinberger in Trader Flip blog, which explains it, uh, explains it better. And basically, you close your eyes, you get in a relaxed state, and then you think and you try to make the image and all the feelings as vivid as possible. And you think of you are in a trade, and you think of yourself placing the trade, and then you think of that trade going wrong and losing, and you feel those feelings. And then you try to reframe that into a positive experience instead of a negative experience in your mind. And by doing that practice several times, since our brains can't really differentiate between simulation or our own imagination from real one, if you are able to think of that strongly enough, that is vivid enough for you, you will be able to start changing the way you look at that loss or at those losses or at those errors in trading 
or basically you can also apply it to almost anything in life. But you can, way the way you see something, you can change it and you can, in your mind, change how it affects you and how it feels. So instead of having a loss, in this case, feeling like you are worth less or you are wrong, you can reframe it to be a positive experience. I could say, for example, in something in which you are learning something new about the market, in which you are understanding more things about the market. So that could be a way to reframe it. But of course, it will be slightly different for each person as we have different experiences and different backgrounds. So try to think of the thing vividly and then in your mind, try to reframe it into a positive lesson or into a positive experience. And that could help with future losses or taking losses in the future. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I think to come back to Adam and the thing you talk about, Motivation, I think it comes down to your motivation about trading. So why do you do it? And so I'm just going to take an example. Let's say that your goal for trading is like you want to prove to your wife that you're able to trade, right? And that's kind of your, your motivation to succeed trading because you want to prove other people that you can do it. Then if you get a loss, it's like the opposite. You're kind of going against that. And that doesn't feel good. That's why you might kind of feel bad and it's going to be more difficult to kind of be going after. So you have to think about, about that. And maybe change your motivation to change why you want to do it. If you do it for freedom, which a lot of people do, well, a loss is kind of like against your freedom. So like it's kind of going back to a full-time job, which you might not want to do. And that's, again, a problem. But you have to think about that and kind of realize what your motivation is and whether that really makes sense. And in the end, just use what Anil talked about. That's going to help a lot. So, yeah, really good. Gregory, you, yeah, you can read it. Gregory said... After all, mentally accepting that a well-backed business strategy can just make money. It looks good. It looks too good to be true. Just the idea of running a strategy instead of actively pursuing the market. Well, first of all, don't make things harder than they are, than they have to be. And this is true. Like, we talked about this earlier, I think. So, you don't really know that a strategy test is going to be working well. So, but what happens if you never try it? If you never try to trade it on a demo account, for example? You will never know whether it works. You'll just know the result. And some people I've met, they have like really, really well back to strategies. Like they know everything about the market. But then when it comes to place of trade, they cannot do it. It's like they feel like, oh, I'm not confident I'm going to do it. It's not right. I'll wait. I need to get more data. But they practice everything. They've done everything, all the work. They just don't feel like it. So you have to be changing this from looking for confidence that it will work to instead looking for curiosity, like trying to find a result. See if it works or not. And that's exactly what we talked about before. And yeah. Add to also, that? yeah, in the part of he feels like, well, from the, his message, I think that he feels that if you have a strategy that just works, it kind of shouldn't work because it's too easy. I feel like it's kind of like having a conflict within self with the, you should be active in the market and trying to adapt to it. But if there's a strategy that works already, it's too easy if it continues working with it. And then I would say that usually, the things that are, have more longevity in the market are the simpler things. Usually the principles that are taught today for many trading strategies are the same that the principles that were being taught 30 years ago. You just either change the package or you change the form. And yes, there are things that change the market, but usually there are the little things, the nuances. Now we have high-frequency trading. Now we have more trading robots than 30 years ago. They affect the market. Yes, but the principles of the market are still the same. So if you have, for example, there is a strategy that is backtested in 
and it's tested and it has, uses the principles of the market, then it's likely that it's going to continue working just because that, those things haven't changed. But it is also true that a strategy can, can expire, let's say like that. The market can change and then it won't favor. But that's exactly with every single strategy out in the market. There will be times in which a strategy will perform greatly and times in which a strategy performs poorly. And over time, it will perform okay if it's uh, adequately tested and robust strategy. But you should also think of trading strategies as employees or using the golf analogy as different, what you call the, in English, the things you use to, to hit the golf ball. I forgot the name in English. I'm not a golfer at all. Okay. Well, you can think it of different employees. They, yeah. each one has their own strengths and you can think of them that they are a team, let's say like a consulting team. So your strategies are a consulting team that are going to go and consult a customer. You're going to put each one. So you can think of them as a team that is consulting. So one of them will be great in finance. One of them may be great in marketing. But you're not going to put the marketing guy to give the client consulting about finance issues. It will be the same as having a strategy that works perfectly in ranging markets and applying it to an extremely bull trend market that has a clear, really like strong trend, it will just fail. The same as your employee trying to give a finance advice to your client if he has a marketing background, he will also fail in doing his job just because he is basically made to do something different. He's best applied at doing, in this case, marketing analysis or marketing strategies for the client, while the other guy is best applied to doing finance strategies, finance things for the client. In the same idea, you can transfer your strategies as, okay, they will do okay in this type of environments or mediocrely in this type of environments because they are not designed for this. But then in this other market environment, they will do good. So you can just transform the idea into they are employees. No strategy is perfect. And you should have more than one employee, ideally, in any business so that they can work and one can be in their strength zone while other one it's in a zone in which is not comfortable working at so that the whole team it's always going up i don't know if i if it helps or yeah yeah, that makes sense yeah that makes sense for sure but at the same time don't think that it's just about kind of practicing your strategies and you get the result and they work and you trade and then be successful forever there's gonna be challenges after they're just like different challenges than before but there's always yeah. something that you have to work on and something coming up. So don't think it's just, it's just like backtest, get the results, succeed. It's not really how it works. Right? Yeah, there to, is always an adaptation part. Yeah, you should always, always adapt to the market. On. Exactly. But many times think that, like for example, the, the part of actively pursuing the market is every single day doing something. That may not be necessarily from oh, a strategy no. yeah. point of yeah. view. Yeah. A strategy, if you go in a company and you ask them their strategic vision, they will tell you their strategy for the next year, for the next two years, for the next five years. Yeah. So it is something that gets tweaked over time, but it's not something that you have to change every day. So I think that's something that many people approach in a wrong way to in the market. They think that they have to be tweaking everything every single moment instead of making it a more larger picture thing, which is the way I would suggest people to approach it in a larger picture thing. And then your job every day is like a, a, let's say, like a factory manager. Your work every day is to make sure that the production, that the process 
is made correctly, executed correctly, and then your work as a strategy builder or tweaking the strategy is like the CEO. You have to steer the boat into the right place, but it's a longer-term process. So you can, you can separate those two parts of your trading as those two different business activities so that you do not confuse one with the other and try to mix the strategic movements or strategy tweaking into your daily execution work. Yeah, exactly. And so Grigory says, but Etienne has only one strategy. And yes, of course, but I apply it in different contexts, in multiple contexts and only one place. And that's why it kind of, it takes more setup than just one thing you trade for only it's reversible in one, one place. So that's one. And I think because you asked about what complication I had since, uh, implementing, since implementing the strategy, I think I want to go through that. So first of all, two years ago, three years ago, I started through that strategy with Bong Ben. And at first, I didn't look at the zone, right? It was profitable, I didn't look at the zone. So my drawdowns would be big, my losing streak would be small, and I had to learn to apply the context to it. So apply these sports areas, the zones. That was the first thing. And then I got to change this for some time. And then I got to a point where the results were good, but then the thing, like, I would have a drawdown, and then I would still not recover. It would take a long time. And then I had to look at what was my way of taking profit. Was it like short take profit better, longer take profit better? And I came to realize that the way I was taking profit to, to this day, a year and a half ago, wasn't the best. So I had to work on that again. I had to find, to, to back us a lot and to find what was best. And I found three to one of where to risk, what's kind of the best to aim for, okay? With partial profit, of course. And also at the same time, I, fi- I found out that moving a stop loss to break even was not a good idea for me at least, right? So I changed that. And then that worked fine. But then like probably a year after that or less than that, I started to travel more and miss more trades. And even though my results were good, they didn't fit what I could have overall. So again, I had to find a way to make it work. And do you change strategy to trade less often? Do you maybe go on low time frame, day trade, which I try to do also? Or do you do what I did now, which is like more automation with the trading assistant, which we'll try to link below after if you guys want to check it out. Or with, uh, so yeah, script, basically to make it more simple. Or having a process written down of like a, a review process in the weekend, which I didn't always do before. I had to apply this also. And then to kind of take like watch chart less during the week. So those are all things I had to work on. This is probably more, like more than that. It's just like a framework of like three, four parts that I went through. But that's what happens when you start to trade a strategy life and then you have to tweak it. So different challenges before it's talking about finding like what's profitable and I can make money, but it's about finding how you can make things better and how you can adapt what you live now to making money in the market and trading for a living or trading profitably, at least. Does that make sense? Yeah, at least for me, it's pretty clear. And also, one part would be that it is always a process, as you said, of adaptation. You basically yeah. explain that first adaptation. You first have something. And every person, it's going to be different. So you may, some person may find their strategy just by taking someone else's already made strategy and that could work for them. But many of us, we tend to go by different places and take a bit of each thing that resonates with us because, I mean, it's not everyone can understand every single strategy. Not everyone works, for example, with Imachi or with GAN or something like that. For some people, that doesn't make sense at all. But for others, it can be super profitable. So that part of discovering your strategy, I think usually it's the hardest part for people. 
and they get lost in that for a long time and they forget that they can take something that is not perfect and keep evolving it into something that it is better for them over time. Yeah. I really feel bad for you guys that kind of find out videos that I did like two years ago, three years ago. And I was trading away at that time, but then I changed. Like, of course, you have to change. But then people, like, this is what happens when you copy someone. Like, you copy your strategy, but you forget that, like, they're going to change eventually, of course, because they have to adapt. And then you just stick to that one thing and you forget to change because you didn't know, first, you didn't learn how to change, how to adapt, what you have to work on. So that's what happens if you just copy someone. Then you try to copy them after, but then they change again later on to something different to make, the, to make it work for them. And so you forgot to change it again, and then you lose money for some time, and you, you have to read that. It's just a mess. You don't want to do that yeah. ever, right? Yeah, and sometimes maybe the changes that that person did work better for them, but not for you. So you may be better off adapting it to yourself instead of just trying to copy whatever the other person is doing. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm going to go now with, with uh, Gian's question. He said yeah, that... What was your reasoning for putting the stop loss higher or the take profit higher or the stop loss tighter? It also has support and resistance recognition issues at the beginner stage. It was not actually about support and resistance. It was in general about market moves. We tend to overestimate some market moves and underestimate other market moves. So I was not using that much support and resistance. It was a different type of price action. But I think it's something that most of us do because we read all the theory and we go over all the lessons and all the things from the courses, and then we forget to apply the things and practice. And one thing I noticed, it was not that I was reading wrongly the support and resistance or recognizing them wrongly, but that I was failing to recognize subtleties on the moves that lead to my setup that had some clues as to if the volatility that has been going up until now will continue or will die out. And then I tended to underestimate how much volatility there will be around my setup. So underestimate the volatility going to my stop loss and overestimate how much something will move after that happened. And then I ended up with many trades in which it will go up to 80%, 90% of my take profit and then reverse completely and go to my stop loss. So, but those things are more the subtleties of the market. Because in most of the discretionary trading strategies, the principles are the same for almost everyone. But what differentiates a winning trader from a losing trader are not the principles, but the subtle nuances that appear and that Usually, a novice will not be able to understand them, but someone that has been looking at charts, like thousand charts with that setup or something like that, they will be able to understand them and to see them pretty fast. And those little nuances are what usually kills beginners in our process for discretionary strategies. That's why I tended, I just say as a general rule, whatever you think your stop loss should be, take 20% more, like 20% wider. And whatever you think your tech profit is, Take every percent of that, 80% of that, and just put that 80%. Just because that's what I have been seeing that people tend to do. And for some, it is about issues recognizing support and resistance areas. For some, it's recognizing market cycles or other parts. Because this doesn't apply just to people using support and resistance, but for you, people using almost every single type of discretionary strategy. 
Yeah, awesome. I don't know if a team wants to add something to there or we that continue makes sense to this. So th th that's what you did, so <laughs> I'll let you answer that. But uh, yeah, okay. I never tried that for myself. So uh, yeah, cool. Let me go on the chat over here. We have a good yeah. uh, bunch of uh, cool questions, so I want to answer those. It's going to be cool. We had one of us, so this is Stefan. What do you think is a good risk reward for day trading and the risk per trade? My hit rate, so I guess win rate, is about 60 to 80% at the moment with the risk reward of one to one. Perfect. So I've seen both ends of the spectrum. I've seen traders with a very low risk to reward. So some people, they have a, a reward to risk of 0.8 to one. So like they win 0.8, they risk one or less than that sometimes. And they make money too. So it's all about combining the win rate with the reward to risk. But you cannot go wrong if you combine it and it works. Yeah, I, it, it's a trade-off because the higher you want your reward to risk to be, the lower your win rate will be. That will always happen. Yeah. And I will say it's something to do with the strategy and something to do with your personality. If you can sustain having a strategy with 20-30% win rate and continue executing properly, then you could be perfectly fine or perfectly good with a three or four or five to one reward to risk, but 20% or 30% win rate. But that should be personal too, and also depending on the strategy. I would say that as long as your risk of ruin and your expectancy with that strategy and with those parameters is positive on the long term, it's okay. Because as Etienne said, I have seen people that have strategies and For example, I do not trade any setup that doesn't have more than two to one risk to reward, reward to risk curve. But I have around 30, some 35 to 45 win rate, which is okay for my strategy because in average I have more than two to one in my reward to risk. But I also some have seen people in some prop firms that they don't trade if they don't see something that is more than five to one reward to risk. And they have around a 20% win rate, but they are making killing in their prop firm every year just because long-term stats they hold and they have positive expectancy so it's also depending on, on how you are how you can relate to that and your strategy because not all of them will allow you will give you that some people would prefer to have one-to-one -one but have more than 60 because it's easier to psychologically withstand Some people, they will not care that much or we will be able to execute even after a big streak of losses and they could have a larger one. But both of them could end up with the same, let's say, percentage return at the end of the year, having, let's say, just a 1% risk per trade, which I will not recommend for day trading. But let's say uh, for terms of uh, simplicity, having a 1% risk per trade, they both could have, one could have 60 or 70% win rate with one-to-one -one risk reward and the one who have 30% win rate with three-to-one risk reward. And they could be at the end in the same percentage return terms. But the path yeah. is going to be a lot different for each one. And in terms of which risk percentage, I would suggest 0.5 at most for day traders, depending on how active you are. Because if you're an active day trader, you could be taking around 10 trades per day. And Having a risk higher than 0.5 could mean that you could have a really large drawdowns just in a single day of trading and executing your trade. If you are less active, then you could have more. But Etienne actually uses 1% risk per trade for his swing trading, right? Yeah. 
which is usually double to the maximum that I would suggest to any day trader to use, unless they are extremely confident and they know that their strategy is going to work long term and they can perform, then I would allow them more. But that's just what I do with, with coaching clients. I have to know them better before I can tell them, okay, you are, you are clear to, to get more risk because all your stats and your psychology permits it. it. It's a pretty complicated thing there in determining your maximum just by saying, by, by looking at the stats. There is all psychological factors to take into account. Of course. Awesome. Adam was asking about, can you show us an example of backtesting? I'll put a playlist in the chat. That's a kind of series of backtesting I did. So you can check this out. It didn't really end up being really uh, profitable. Still an example, like keep in mind that 90% of the backtests you do, we'll have a video on that tomorrow, will not be profitable, will just suck. And you have to adapt to that and accept that they won't work, but you have to just do it anyway, right? So, yeah, uh, that was the backtesting on the Kenkenashi candles? Yeah, the Kenkenashi one, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was yeah. an interesting well, backtest. Yeah. As you see the process, I, I think there's like four or five videos on that in this uh, yeah. series. So, uh, yeah, exactly. So that's about it. What's better to use, market orders or limit orders for entries? Well, it depends what you, what you want to do. So depends I on tend your to use limit orders, but if I see that the price is at, it's what I want to enter, it's going to be market. So it depends. Yeah, really it depends, depends on your strategy a lot. Yeah, they have two different, two different aspects. So I tend to enter, let's say, above a higher candlestick or below the low. I cannot just put the market order. I have to put a limit order there. And I'll just leave and do something else with the beach, whatever. Unless you but, want to be there in the screen until that happens. Yeah. <laughs> Which I wouldn't want to do, exactly. But if, for yeah. example, I get to the chart and price already below the low, then yeah, like market order makes sense. Why not? Yeah. Right? Yeah, some people, trade and that's it. Yeah, some people prefer that in the sense of that they, they think that the market maker will kind of like try to play with their trades and that, but any reputable broker will not do that. And in Forex, yeah. Unless your order is more than $10 million in national value, no one cares about your order, honestly. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, in Forex, we are so small that you're trading $10 million in one order, then maybe someone will care about your order, but that's less than that is probably, okay, just an order more in the market. No one really cares for that. In futures and that, there may be robots that play with the order books, but it's not that important. And also, if you are swing trading like Etienne or my robots, it doesn't really matter much anyways, because the difference you could get from market order to a limit order would be one to two pips, and you are targeting for 100 pips. So it doesn't really affect much your profits or loss in that case. So it depends on your strategy a lot. Exactly. Steve was saying, what are your thoughts on crossover strategies? We just created a product for uh, Casey Stop recently. It's a crossover strategy for MAs, and it works really well. When you optimize and stuff, it's, it's really good. The graph are really nice of the, the profit for the backtest thing. It's not available anymore, but it could work fine. You just have to test it properly and understand that things might not always work, but kind of tweak it and make it work. And yeah, there's a problem with that. It's a strategy that's yeah. like every other strategy in the market. Yeah. From my experience of building a couple of robots with that. One of them in the webinar we did on Thursday and one of them for my own portfolio of robots for my trading. I can say that the hardest part of building a crossover system is to eliminate or reduce the times in which the moving average are almost flat and everything is just like wet spaghetti. Yeah. 
and the, the price is crossing up and down in there. That is the hardest part. And also, with every trend following system, one of the hardest parts is psychology. Because most trend following systems have a 20 to 30 something percent win rate. So you're going to lose most of the times. So you better prefer to be losing money almost every single time. And then you may win sometimes a bit, or you may be weak, win really big sometimes. And that's what makes that strategy profitable over time. But from my back test, I, most of them, uh, before optimizations and other things, they will usually get 20% win rate at most. They will have sometimes 5 to 1 reward to risk. But most of the times you will be losing, 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 losing money, either a full take profit, full stop loss or a small amount. So that's one of the hardest parts with, with those type of strategies that I, I have seen. And I have one which I have a, a filter for that and another one which I use a price action filter for that. And getting that filter right, it's usually the hardest part for me in developing that and the psychology part of you're going to be losing a lot, but you're going to win big once in a while. Yeah. That can be pretty bad for some people. They, they will be like in the dumps emotionally for the whole month. And then one day they will be like super happy because they won 10 hours or something like that. And then well, the whole month again in the dumps because they are still losing every single day with the strategy. But in the long term, it can still be profitable. It's just pretty wild to ride for many people if you do not have the right mindset or emotional fortitude for that. Exactly. Love that. Should that was asking, and this is really cool. So he was asking, am I at a disadvantage if I, don't, if I don't use an EA? So am I like behind the curve if I don't use an EA, an expert advisor? And a few months back, I said no. But now I kind of want to tend to say yes. And the reason is simple. Because of the fact that it, it's like the difference between like working in a farm and doing all the manual work yourself or having a, fact, like a factory with, with, with machines. Like what do you prefer? Right, both make money, both work, but it's just that one you have to do all the work and be there, but the other one you don't, you, you don't you can automate things more and have kind of these machines to make things work easier. <laughs> so I would say yes, although it doesn't work for everyone, of course. Some people are still gonna be farmers even in like 2018 and they like that, so th- that's the you, right? And yeah, I was laughing that, because, yeah, I'm, I'm laughing because I, I'm part of the part of the reason why now you think that having yeah, EAs yeah. it's, it's almost essential. <laughs> due to the, the trading assistant and, and the build robots I have, we have built together. Yeah, I would say that not necessarily trading robots or EA, Ace, but automation in your trading process exactly. is essential. Yeah. You don't yeah. really need to have an EA or a robot per se, but you need automation systems. For example, what we did with the TN was the trading assistant, which we also have in the academy. And we basically, well, I basically coded his strategy into an a notification system which removes all the basic work. It's kind of, if you're doing Excel tables or, yeah, let's say go to the farm. If you're going to the farm, instead of you having to pick every single apple by hand, you have a machine or a robot that picks the apples and then just presents to you, this is the picking of today. And then you decide, okay, I like this apple, I don't like this apple. I like this trade, I like, trade, I like yeah. this opportunity, I don't like this opportunity. I take this trade or I don't take this trade. And it just reduces uh, drastically the amount of time you have to be in the charts. And also, I can say that these are tools that are used in trading prop firms every single time. They have some in which the robot does everything and takes all the trades, like some of my robots that I have in my portfolio. 
and they have some in which you have the robot identifying all the things that the robots do best, the robots do. So all the mathematical things, in our case, with the Bollinger Band Reversal System, which was the first one we automated, it identifies all the mathematically things that can be done easily with a robot, and then it presents the human. This is an opportunity, and the human identifies everything that the human can do, can do really fast and easily, which are all those little subtleties and price action context. And then the human, in this case, Etienne, decides to take the trade or not. And I think that robots can be really useful, but at a minimum, you need tools to automate your thing. A tool to automate your process could be as simple as a checklist in which you place all your process. This is automating your process because it is avoiding you from making mistakes or meeting parts of the process by having that checklist. That's the first step, let's say, like that in automation. And then the next step will be trying to take whatever a robot can do, like it's feasible to program with reasonable amount of resources, and try to make that into it. And I do think that people without EAs or without automation tools are going to be at a disadvantage in the future, mostly because you're going to be slower to react and you're going to be needing to work harder and longer in order to get the same results that someone that has automation tools. So you may miss opportunities and you are going to be having to be there more time at the screens to get the same results that someone that has automation tools. And in the case of Etienne, it can be in Playa del Carmen, enjoying a nice beach view, and then just get the notification and then quickly open the charts and see, okay, this one is one that I have in my checklist. Okay, and just take a trade. So if, if, if you don't have automation tools, you will need to be at your home looking at the things. You will not be able to be running around because you will be losing those, those opportunities. Yeah. It's like something as a business today that doesn't have internet or doesn't have any computer and they do everything <laughs> by hand. They work, they make money, yes, they might, they might be good, they might make a living from this, but they're not at the top level as they could be with computers, right? So I think that, that explains everything. And we had a question, can, can, uh, this is Roland. Can you back this if you're a full discretionary trader? Of course. So a discretionary trader has some rules, but they also have a rule that tells them that they cannot follow the rule and do things different. So do you back this as if you were to trade live? So you take your trades, if you feel like you don't want to take a trade or you should take this trade, then take it. And then at the end, evaluate the result and you'll see pretty fast if you're good or not and if, if that works for you or not. So that's yeah. how you do it. And there are many tools for that. In the playlist that Etienne shared with all of you a few minutes ago, he actually uses a software to do manual backtesting because he was yeah. backtesting the Hinken Ashi candles or the Bollinger Bands manually. He used soft core effects, I think. I think there is a exactly. link in, that, in those videos to that. Um, but there are many tools that you can use for that. I call it simulation or training usually when you are practicing and backtesting when you are gathering data on the thing. Because if you're a manual trader or a discretionary trader, the first thing you need to know is you have to recognize the patterns and to recognize the things that you need to trade. And afterwards, you can actually place a trade. So for me, that, that's the process. And there are many tools out there for that. Uh, there are a couple in the playlist, in the video playlist. There are links to a couple of them which we have found out pretty useful, we both use. And I think it is, it's really useful and it's important for every type of trader to do a backtest of their strategy. Yeah, awesome. We have kind of a background question that we'll have to answer. And uh, I kind of want to answer those quickly, like a few quickly now. 
that I think yeah, there, there are many questions. I'm, I'm, but yeah, I so guys, you guys should forget your question, of course, at some point. It might take some time. So uh, someone was asking, this is a bunker for it. So asking, what leverage will you use on a $250 account? So here's the answer. Pick whatever leverage you need to be able to place all the trades you need. Right? If you place, like, let's say, five trades at a time, ensure that like, you won't go over probably $200 for those five trades, right? Because that's kind of your maximum before getting a margin call. So if you can place five trades and that's your maximum and you have no problem placing them without getting margin calls, then you're good. That's perfect. But don't go in the mindset that, oh, I have to put the highest leverage possible to make the most money. That's not how it works. Okay? So uh, it's just about fi- like finding the balance of placing all the trades you need to place with the yeah. capital you have. Yeah, and managing your risk. That's yeah, of course. Of course. important part. Yeah, yeah. What is the time frame for day traders? It depends. You could go from the tick chart to the one-hour chart, I guess. But I don't day trade anymore. I used to day trade on the five-minute chart. Alejandro, what do you use for day trading now? I day trade from the one-minute chart up to the 15-minute chart. But I see the one-hour chart for reference of the main day move. But yeah, it depends on how moves how the moves are. But yeah, usually it's in the five minute, one minute chart, fifteen minute chart when there are longer term inside the day. Uh, but yeah, anything higher will be too high. And most of the trades that I know for futures, they usually trade on the tick chart. So yeah, yeah you can you can go as low as as you want. Exactly. But, yeah. Cool. Uh, Gregory asked, "How come you don't trade all the pairs, all the forex pairs? Doesn't that create more profit?" Well, yes, perhaps. But you have to keep in mind that the pairs are all different and uh, they're not all profitable. That would be like stupid to think. So yeah. yes, you could get to a point where you have a strategy that's for all the pairs, but that takes time. <laughs> that's going to be done like, in like a week yeah, exactly. or even like a month or even like a year. Right? So yeah. you have to think about that. You could optimize it depends yourself. on the strategy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not every single one will be able to be working with all of them. And I think that not every single... like. I don't know any single strategy that will work in all of them without having to change many things of it to adapt them to the different pairs. So it's a pretty big amount of work that it may be worth or maybe not be worth because you may be doing 20% more work for 10% more profits. And you may yeah. be like, okay, I prefer to stay like this and forfeit 10% of profits, but not do 20% more to work with what I already have. And also keep in mind the pairs tend to be correlated quite a bit sometimes. So yeah. you could trade two and you have the same result. Maybe you have double the profit, but double the drawdown. So yeah. is that worth it? I'm not sure. Depends. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it depends, of course. Yeah. Someone's asking, this is fast pro, was asking, is there a chance where we could talk to you guys one-on-one and look at my trading plan to get your opinion on it? Well, that's exactly why we have the Trade Academy. We do mastermind calls every two weeks now, so we get in a group, we talk, we exchange, and we can look at your plan in that mastermind call. We do those every two weeks. I handle those one, I do the other ones, so we can kind of stay sane and do still two calls per month. And so that's how it works. So I think link is going to be below for that if you want to sign up. And you get like a new support. So it's only a one-time thing, which I think is better. Yeah, it is a pretty big thing for people to have the support and the constant mm. guidance. For this, because it, it keeps you accountable to someone or to a group of people in this case when you work or don't work on your plan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. Gregory asked, where would you advise someone to start coding bots? I was on the computer, but you decide. Uh, I don't know what, any thoughts on that, any resource perhaps, because that's the simplistic, I know. 
<laughs> yeah, I just laughing because yeah. Well, you could you could code them in a paper actually. I, I, that's how yeah. I started, not coding them, but actually doing the logic. And if you remember our meetup when you were here in Mexico City, mm. that's how we started to make the robots for everyone right. in the in the room. We make it, it in paper. Like, have you plan your framework? And yeah. yeah. The first thing I would share with you would be that you would need to determine where you're going to code, like the platform you're going to code. There are tools to code faster and easier in Metroid 4. There are tools to code in other things, like visual tools. And there are some platforms in which you don't have tools and you just have to learn to code. So that's something that you need to determine where are you trading or where are you going to code. And then the next part is what type might want to automate. Then after you have that is what that logic translates into paper. I don't have the example here, but it basically, you try to transform every single thing that you're, you want to do in the coding into logical steps. So you make like a, a flow chart of logic things and you start putting like circles with descriptions and that and logic. And that's how I approach things. I, I basically draw what I'm looking at the chart for that to happen. And then I translate that into, into logic, into, okay, Bollinger Bands, this, and I translate that into variables and that. And then I start using a software that allows me to input that logic. And then I touch the code manually to add all the things that are not needed. I think that we may be able to have some uh, short lesson later on that, if people are interested in that. So that, that could be a good thing to look for in the future. Yeah, cool. Yeah, we should do that some way. Like, you just have to start sometime to try to find the resource later. That's how I do things. I, I, I like to start, do it, and then I get to a question, then I have to find the answer. It was going to be online. And the way I learned was... I was curious, and then I Googled many things. I stumbled upon many pages. I did many things, and then I found something that worked for me, and then I continued with working with that. That's exactly how I, work, how I do it. And whenever I don't know something, I go to forums and ask or read people that have already posted the question I have. And usually in Coder forum, forums, everyone shares everything. So because that's the type of uh, mindset that people have around this. So it is relatively easy to find uh, answers to your questions. And most of the programming languages will have a database, like a book, which you can start reading to get started. And I'm pretty sure that there are courses there in Coursera or Udemy that will give you the full layout or things like that to do. I didn't take any of those, but I'm pretty sure they are there. Yeah, cool. I just noticed we missed a question from Sed, which I kind of skipped over for whatever reason, didn't notice it. So I kind of want to answer that now because it's getting some controversy here. But uh, Sarah was asking, how do you measure the magnitude of an economical event? How do you discover events when they happen? Like what platform? Bloomberg gives a basic report. Yeah. So I'm not a big fan of that. Necessarily. I don't look at this really much myself. That's why it's kind of hard to answer. I know I've heard like Forex News can be helpful for that. Forex Factory probably gives some info on that too. But uh not exactly sure about that, to be honest. Any thoughts, Ariano? Okay, well, uh, the part of how do you gather, well, how do you determine the magnitude? We don't do that. We have already people that do that. For example, people at FX Street, uh, my FX yeah. book, all the economic calendars have already done that. So I don't know if you can check any economic calendar in the web. They usually have different levels of priority. And many times they actually calculate that based on the volatility that the event causes after the release. 
So that, that's how I u- they use it. I don't pay attention to any economical event unless it is usually well read or highest priority volatility marked by... I usually use my FX book one because it has less events than the FX trade one. And I only take care about those when I'm day trading. If I am seeing swing trading, I really don't care about any of it. Unless it's going to be something more political, like elections or something like that. And I mean, uh, it's something that is going to be there. Because depending on what happens and more lately in these years, uh, there could be big things. And usually elections are over weekends. So <laughs> you may be in for a pretty bad, bad thing. I have access to Bloomberg. But I don't really check that because it's in my uni and it's too far away from my computer at home to to go there to check the Bloomberg reports. And depending on how you are trading, it is important or not the economic events. If you are trading using fundamentals, then yes, you really need them. And probably Browser's Acon Terminal or Bloomberg Terminal will be the best thing to go with the paid version that costs like $20,000 per month. Uh, they would be probably the best way to go, but it's too expensive for most retail traders. Another option you can have is like something like Rand Squawk or other squawks like that, which basically are reading you the news in real time, mostly for the traders. But I don't really pay much attention to those. I just take notes from my economic calendar. Okay, this is going to be at this hour. I'm not going to trade from this hour to this hour. And that's all. That's how I approach it, really. And in terms of terminals and that, I also don't care what the report is because, as you said, sometimes there will be an economic report, a number that is probably really good for the country, and then the currency will, will plummet instead of going higher. I do not trade the reports based on my opinions. When I traded news before, I traded the reaction of the people to those news, not what I thought will happen because I don't know what will happen. I don't know what the big money is thinking because... It is, they are the ones that move the market at that time. So I don't know what they are thinking. So I will see what they are thinking. And after they, are, they start showing me their hand in the market, I will place a small, a small trade with that. I think Mandy should be a great person to answer something like that because she trades the best during news reports. Yeah. She's using Twitter, Twitter a lot to get the news. And I think to add to that, most brokers have kind of a, a news system where they tell you like the news and stuff. I know one day they have something called, I think, Market Pulse which work yeah. kind of well. Like, I really don't use it, but it probably yeah, works Yeah, most well. of them are kind of like Wall Street Journal and something like yeah. that, and they, they feed them to your terminal. I never read them, really. I only listen to some of the videos for my... I have Pepperstone as one of my brokers, and I only read, read, read the, the weekly analysis because they give yeah. you the economic calendar <laughs> look and some of the things. So I only read them, listen to that, to have a bias on what analysts are thinking on that. And then I form my own bias with my trading as things go. But that gives me like an outlook of what someone else is thinking, even though I shouldn't care what someone else is thinking because my strategy is probably different to theirs. But that usually gives me an outlook of, okay, what they're thinking for the next week. Okay, now I can think what I'm thinking for the next day. <laughs> yeah, that's your weekend ent- entertainment where you look at that instead of TV, exactly. So, oh, yeah, that, that's why I have Twitter for. <laughs> exactly. Let's go to question because it's, I know it's been already like an hour and a half, almost. Let's go yeah. a little bit faster to questions. I want to get to all of them. Uh, someone is asking, what is the best strategy for straight cryptos? Well, there's no best strategy, you know that for sure. It's about finding what works for you. We did an interview with Usain Chong a few days ago. It should be in the channel, like on the homepage. And uh, you will yeah. 
to see what is trading. So I don't trade crypto yet, so I cannot answer that too much. But whatever works, works. Yeah, you, you can listen to the latest, last episode of the podcast. I think that's also the, the, the same interview, right? Yeah, that's like two episodes ago, I think. Oh, episode, okay, yeah. I'm not sure. I think it was a lot one anyway, but it, it's in the YouTube channel. It's the, one of the latest interviews. And Usain is a really, really good trader, so it's worth yeah, it. Yeah, that should give you a detailed answer exactly. <laughs> for that. Uh, cool. Thank you for all the wonderful information. Awesome. No question here. The Grateful Chartist ask AE or anyone that knows where in the world are you located right now? We're both in Mexico, which is kind of cool. I'm in Tyler Carmen. is in Mexico City. So yeah. that's it. Yeah, I live here in Mexico City and Etienne is visiting Playa yeah. del Carmen. Exactly. Or enjoy the weather. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Cool. I hello. Thank you for joining, which is nice. Awesome. Uh, good. Um, yeah, it is a bit hard to keep okay. up with. Risking uh, yeah, 0.5% per trade swing trading work. I guess that's uh-huh. the leverage. I wouldn't go to 1 to 1,000. I wouldn't see why you do that. Uh, well, if you're risking 0.05% per trade with swing trading, you probably only need at most 1 to 5. Yeah. Or <laughs> that's from my own stats that I have gathered. And at most, I usually only need 1 to 10 uh, in the times in which I have most amount of trades. If you have more trades, let's say 10 swing trades at the same time, you may need more. But 0.05%, it's pretty low. I'm not sure if it's 0.5% it meant, or if it's really 0.05%. Because or it's, or it's like 5%, perhaps. I don't know. I'm not sure. If it's 5%, then that's a lot of risk, and you should yeah, be pretty confident on your strategy. And you should check your risk of ruin in a calculator yeah. to see that you are 0%. If it's 0.5%, then Yes, I would actually take, uh, I actually have in my account 1 to 500 leverage for a strategy that uses that, but I never use that amount of leverage. I just have it because it gives me more room to trade more if I need to, but I don't use it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Money set to like, I think, 1 to 30, but I, I didn't change this in like a while. So. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and yeah. Uh, for, for this type of strategy, you will at most need 1 to 10. But yeah. you can have more in case you need to do something or you need to change strategies. You, you can have more. But what I would say is never use your full leverage because that's just going into risk. Just use the yeah. amount of leverage that is enough for you to be able to do your risk management adequately. That's Yeah. Because what happens if like, you take a trade and then you press the wrong number, you have to consider more. If your leverage is too high, then you can set like, the trade. If it's not too high, then you cannot take the trade. It's going to kind of block you. There is on that. So <laughs> I never did that, but yeah. I've been there with my robots because of a small okay. programming error. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I've been there. Yeah. yeah, you remember, right? It, it was a good yeah. thing because it, it won money, but it could have been a pretty terrible 30% loss in the count in a few minutes. Exactly. If I yeah. was not quick to react. It can have happened. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Erlou uh, says, is Pondscript a good, a great starting point to code, algor- to code algorithms or would it be better to start with the Python background? I would say for myself, fine wouldn't be good because it's like really hard to test on TradingView and you don't get much data and it's just a mess to kind of look at the stats. Yeah, so I, will I, I will go, yeah, I will go with... I will go with crypto trading uh, comments just below the one you read. Yeah. Uh, if you go from Python, I totally think that Python is one of the most strongest yeah. tools. If you want to work in a quant shop, they will ask you for Python. 
So if you want to become a coder or big, big shops, Python is usually the way because with Python, you can make everything work on their own and then connect to the broker APIs or the fixed protocol. So that is, let's say, independent of any broker, but it will take longer to learn than, for example, MQL. MQL is a lot simpler to learn and there are many tools. And if you are just using MT4, then you may be okay, perfectly fine with, with doing just MQL. That's exactly what I'm doing because I'm currently on coding for that. I will probably morph later into Python. But if you want to start with something relatively simple, I think MQL is, is simple enough and there are many tools. Python, I would say that it is, if you want to go into multi-asset or multi-broker platforms for that, that will be the best but it will take a longer time to learn a, a steeper learning curve. Yeah, good answer. Even though I don't think that water. Cool. I love that. Uh, someone was asking about, so Heirloom says, Google is great, but it's a sea of information, 80% redundant, of course. That's why getting around other traders and communicating with them is so great. Uh, it helps to not waste time and get more directed info. So exactly, that, that's what I said for myself. Really, really important. Yeah. So perfect. Good yeah, that's actually that. like your and last blog. Right? Yeah, yeah, it, it's pretty important. And I'm going to go to your last blog, which was the one of the keys to success. You need to to meet people and to meet traders in person. Meeting traders either in person or in cam, it's pretty important because you will learn more from that than from Googling or reading lots of books. They, it, yeah. It's a way to condense information because they already have that information that they, they use. So they give you the condensed version and only the things that they found valuable. And that can be a lot, a lot more useful for you than having to read, let's say, the whole book. You get the summary of what matters for that and then you can get more value in a shorter amount of time. Exactly. Uh, someone, Marco was asking about the top five brokers. I would say reach out to the guys at for at uh, Force Park FX. They introduce you to brokers. They will answer your question. I'll put a link in the chat. Tell them that we refer you if you want. It's gonna be faster for you. But uh, there's no best broker. That's the the quick answer. So you have to find out what's best for you, and they can help you with that at no additional fee for you, no additional cost. So uh, I would do that for you. Yeah, they're they're pretty out. good in like in you never want to go with a bad broker anyway, because like if you risk losing all your money because you invest in a bad broker. That's costly. That's not good. So yeah. you might not want to do that. Just a yeah. talk here. Yeah, they are great because they are pretty strict on their broker yeah. Oh, yeah. relationships. Yeah. And they are pretty useful for any trader at once. You can tell them, I'm going to trade this, I need this, and I would like that. And they will tell you, oh, this broker is perfect for you, or these two brokers could be perfect, and you select the one you, you exactly. think is best. And on that time, so great. Last week, I, I, I reached out to Trent from uh, First Park Effects, and mm -hmm. I received an email from a broker that wanted to kind of work with me and I think do an interview with me. And then I reached out to Trent to know, like, well, is this broker good or not? And he answered me pretty fast. Like, uh, I wouldn't touch him with like a 10 feet ball. So I said, okay, I yeah. won't talk to him, which is uh, good to have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, they, they are extremely good. Yeah, and it doesn't cost anything. So might as well try it out. Yeah. Yeah, tell them I refer you if you want. Uh, Sedna, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, when's your next meetup? Kimo was asking. We have a meetup in Montreal. I won't be there on October 24th, like in a couple of days. Where is it now? 19, 20? Yeah, it's in like four days. It's, it's, yeah, it's in four days, next Wednesday. And you have one in Mexico. When's the next one? 
in English or uh, we still don't have the, the okay. date but it will probably be near the end of November we had one just last week we yeah, went to an auction week. house and we we saw the market process of an auction in real time and then we analyzed that was pretty cool awesome because uh, a lot of you are, are asking and we always like I'm not sure even there's a place for the next one because like it's always packed yeah. and it was always filled but uh, yeah, I, I think that you will have to be joining to that meetup and then requesting for the next month's pace. Yeah, yeah. waiting list. So next one, I'm looking at this. Uh, we have 30 people, so it's full now. But yeah, we do one per month, so it doesn't matter. So uh, yeah, come back next month. So <laughs> cool, guys. I think we're good. He says, thank you so much for all the info. It's awesome. So guys, comment below what you thought. If you're watching the replay, we appreciate it. Of course, it's going to be turned into a podcast episode so you can listen on the go as well. Uh, subscribe if it's not done yet. There's more video guests every single day. Plus, if you subscribe, click the bell. Also, that next to the subscribe button if you want to be notified of future videos. That's the point thing I say all the time. But uh, yeah, it, it's worth it because you don't want to miss all the videos, of course. And uh, any other thoughts on whatever, any topic, anything you want to mention? No, we just, everyone, thank you for, for coming and thank you for all the really good questions and just a reminder to everyone to do everything that they do try to a mindful approach to that love that and keep in mind we like we do this just to give value and like gives you tips to apply if you want to have more help like more contact with us then check out the academy it's going to be linked below uh we have a couple of students that joined last week so that's going to be awesome to help them out but if you want to see this i'm pretty sure it's in below i'm not even sure i put the link but we don't promote it that much anyway. So if you want to join, then it's there. If not, it's fine. But we'll catch you back here tomorrow for an interview with uh, Michael Tumba. All right, ciao, guys. Bye.